Greetings, friends. It's July 24th, and I hope you are feeling happy and blessed. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you, Lord, for a new day in which we can discover and delight in your mercies. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is the One-Year Bible Tour Guide podcast, and we're happy to have you with us as we read through God's Word and take its message to heart. My name is David McAdam, and I am blessed to be able to read today's portion from our daily Bible reading plan, the One-Year Bible. We are now in the 14th book of the Old Testament, and as we read it, we are getting a fresh perspective on the history of the descendants of King David as we continue to read the book of Second Chronicles. We also are following the history of the priests and their relationship to the temple in Jerusalem. In the New Testament, we are scaling the heights of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans and the climactic tribute to the unfailing presence and power of God's love made real to us by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, as recorded in Romans chapter 8. So let's get started. We're picking up our narrative with Second Chronicles chapter 11, beginning with the first verse. Rehoboam secures his kingdom. Second Chronicles 11. When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled the house of Judah and Benjamin, 180,000 chosen warriors, to fight against Israel, to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam. But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the man of God, Say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all Israel in Judah and Benjamin, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up or fight against your relatives. Return every man to his home, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and returned, and did not go against Jeroboam. Rehoboam lived in Jerusalem, and he built cities for defense in Judah. He built Bethlehem, Atam, Tekoa, Beth-zur, Soko, Adullam, Gath, Marashah, Ziph, Adoraim, Lachish, Azekah, Zorah, Ajalon, and Hebron, fortified cities that are in Judah and in Benjamin. He made the fortresses strong and put commanders in them, and stores of food, oil, and wine. And he put shields and spears in all the cities and made them very strong. So he held Judah and Benjamin. And the priests and the Levites who were in all Israel presented themselves to him from all places where they lived. For the Levites left their common lands and their holdings and came to Judah and Jerusalem, because Jeroboam and his sons cast them out from serving as priests of the Lord. And he appointed his own priests for the high places and for the goat idols and the calves that he had made. And those who had set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel came after them from all the tribes of Israel to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord, the God of their fathers. They strengthened the kingdom of Judah. And for three years they made Rehoboam the son of Solomon secure, for they walked for three years in the way of David and Solomon. Rehoboam took as wife Mahalath, the daughter of Jeremoth, the son of David, and of Abihail, the daughter of Eliab, the son of Jesse. And she bore him sons, Jeush, Shemariah, and Zaham. After her he took Makah, the daughter of Absalom, who bore him Abijah, Atai, Ziza, and Shelomith. Rehoboam loved Makah, the daughter of Absalom, above all his wives and concubines. He took eighteen wives and sixty concubines, and fathered twenty-eight sons and sixty daughters. 
and Rehoboam appointed Abijah, the son of Makkah, as chief prince among his brothers, for he intended to make him king. And he dealt wisely and distributed some of his sons through all the districts of Judah and Benjamin, and all the fortified cities, and he gave them abundant provisions and procured wives for them. Chapter 12. Egypt Plunders Jerusalem When the rule of Rehoboam was established, and he was strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord, and all Israel with him. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, because they had been unfaithful to the Lord, Jeshach, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem with 1,200 chariots and 60,000 horsemen. And the people were without number who came with him from Egypt, Libyans, Sukim, and Ethiopians. And he took the fortified cities of Judah and came as far as Jerusalem. Then Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and to the princes of Judah, who had gathered at Jerusalem because of Shishak, and said to him, Thus says the Lord, You abandoned me, so I have abandoned you to the hand of Shishak. Then the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, The Lord is righteous. When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, They have humbled themselves. I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance, and my wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Nevertheless, they shall be servants to him, that they may know my service and the service of the kingdoms of the countries. So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away the shields of gold that Solomon had made. And King Rehoboam made in their place shields of bronze and committed them to the hands of the officers of the guard who kept the door of the king's house. And as often as the king went into the house of the Lord, the guard came and carried them and brought them back to the guard room. And when he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him so as not to make a complete destruction. Moreover, conditions were good in Judah. So King Rehoboam grew strong in Jerusalem and reigned. Rehoboam was forty-one years old when he began to reign, and he reigned seventeen years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah the Ammonite. And he did evil, for he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. Now the acts of Rehoboam, from first to last, are they not written in the chronicles of Shemaiah the prophet and of Iddo the seer? There were continual wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And Rehoboam slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, and Abijah his son reigned in his place. Chapter 13. Abijah Reigns in Judah In the eighteenth year of Jeroboam, Abijah began to reign over Judah. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micaiah, the daughter of Uriel of Gibeah. Now there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. Abijah went out to battle, having an army of valiant men of war, four hundred thousand chosen men. And Jeroboam drew up his line of battle against him with eight hundred thousand chosen mighty warriors. Then Abijah stood up on Mount Zemaraim, that is in the hill country of Ephraim, and said, Hear me, O Jeroboam, and all Israel. Ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingship over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt? Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, 
a servant of Solomon the son of David, rose up and rebelled against his Lord. And certain worthless scoundrels gathered about him and defied Rehoboam the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and irresolute and could not withstand them. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the hand of the sons of David, because you are a great multitude, and have with you the golden calves that Jeroboam made you for gods. Have you not driven out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and made priests for yourselves like the peoples of the other lands? Whoever comes for ordination with a young bull or seven rams becomes a priest of what are not gods. But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. We have priests ministering to the Lord who are sons of Aaron and Levites for their service. They offer to the Lord every morning and every evening burnt offerings and incense of sweet spices, set out the showbread on the table of pure gold, and care for the golden lampstand, that its lamps may burn every evening. For we keep the charge of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken him. Behold, God is with us at our head, and his priests with their battle trumpets to sound the call to battle against you. O sons of Israel, do not fight against the Lord, the God of your fathers, for you cannot succeed. Jeroboam had sent an ambush around to come upon them from behind. Thus his troops were in front of Judah, and the ambush was behind them. And when Judah looked, behold, the battle was in front of and behind them. And they cried to the Lord, and the priests blew the trumpets. Then the men of Judah raised the battle shout. And when the men of Judah shouted, God defeated Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. The men of Israel fled before Judah, and God gave them into their hand. Abijah and his people struck them with great force, so there fell slain of Israel five hundred thousand chosen men. Thus the men of Israel were subdued at that time, and the men of Judah prevailed, because they relied on the Lord, the God of their fathers. And Abijah pursued Jeroboam and took cities from him, Bethel with its villages, and Jeshanah with its villages, and Ephron with its villages. Jeroboam did not recover his power in the days of Abijah. And the Lord struck him down, and he died. But Abijah grew mighty. And he took fourteen wives and had twenty-two sons and sixteen daughters. The rest of the acts of Abijah, his ways and his sayings, are written in the story of the prophet Iddo. And this concludes our reading from the Old Testament portion of the one-year Bible from the book of Second Chronicles. Now let's take a few moments to reflect. We have learned from the book of First and Second Kings that Jeroboam set up his own self-appointed priesthood and worship places at Bethel and Dan. But in today's reading, we learn how this decision impacted the God-appointed Levites who were serving in the northern areas. Jeroboam banned the Levites from their sacred duties of holding local worship services and providing instruction intended to prevent the people from turning to idols. Jeroboam's institutionalizing pagan worship forced the Levites to move to the southern kingdom. For the Levites left their pasture lands and their property and came to Judah and Jerusalem, for Jeroboam and his sons had excluded them from serving as priests to the Lord. 2 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 14. This cleared the way for Jeroboam's self-styled priesthood to encourage the worship of the pagan goat and calf idols in the northern kingdom of Israel. 
soon to be known as Samaria. For a brief three years under Rehoboam's reign, the people of the southern kingdom of Judah continued to seek after the Lord. But when Rehoboam became strong in his self-confidence, he abandoned the law of the Lord. All Israel followed suit. Speed of the leader, speed of the team. Direction of the leader, direction of the team. And it was the direction of disaster. Because of their covenant relationship with the Lord, God chastens His people for their disobedience. He allows Shishak of Egypt to capture the fortified cities of Judah, encroaching upon their territory to the extent of threatening to destroy Jerusalem. The prophet Shemaiah makes it clear to Rehoboam and the princes of Judah that the conquest of the Judean cities was the direct result of their disobedience to God. When Rehoboam and the princes humble themselves, according to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, the Lord promises a measure of deliverance. He will spare Jerusalem from full destruction by the hand of Shishak of Egypt, 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verses 7 through 12. Sadly, Shishak took away the treasures of the temple and the king's house, including the shields of gold that Solomon had made. The strength of Solomon and Rehoboam became liabilities as they leaned on their own wisdom and strength. God had abundantly blessed them with resources. Their failures demonstrate the inability of external and material resources to do the important work of changing the heart. The Gospel Transformation Bible Commentary notes the contrast between the rule of these kings and the rule of the Lord Jesus. Quote, when King Jesus arrived, he did not come with political power, wealth, wives, or heirs. Rather, he came as the impoverished king, but the king who could actually, through his scandalous grace, change our hearts. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Mark chapter 8, verse 36. The wealth of human kings impoverishes the people, but the poverty of our heavenly king has made us rich beyond calculation. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. 2 Chronicles chapter 13 focuses on the reign of Abijah, continuing the focus of the book on the southern kingdom and the spiritual life of God's covenant people. Abijah is at war with Jeroboam. He makes a fiery speech rebuking Jeroboam for leading Israel astray. The Lord gives him victory over Jeroboam and the armies of Israel. According to 2 Chronicles, Abijah pledges fidelity to the Lord, although 1 Kings chapter 15 verse 3 tells us another side of the story. He, that is Abijah, walked in all the sins of his father which he had committed before him, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God like the heart of his father David. 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 3. You might ask, why does the book of Chronicles only record the positive aspects of Ahijah's reign when 1 Kings speaks of his reign as basically evil? The writer of Chronicles was focusing on God's covenant promise to David and the pattern of worship that would anticipate the king to come, the Christ of God, the Messiah. Abijah was a defender of that promise. In 2 Chronicles chapter 13, verses 4 through 12, and because of this, his reign is more positively recorded in Chronicles, and he was spared the immediate consequence of his sin. Now let's go to the New Testament book of Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, and we pick up our reading in verse 22, and we'll read through to verse 39. 
in this wonderful chapter on the person of the Holy Spirit and His work in us. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called, and those whom He called, He also justified, and those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow, what a wonderful portion of Scripture that is. There is a past, present, and future aspect to our salvation. Through faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross, we are delivered from the penalty of sin. That is justification. Through our reckoning ourselves crucified with Christ and through our relying on the power of the indwelling Spirit, we are delivered from the power of sin. That is sanctification. One day, when Christ returns, we will be raised in a body conformed to His glorious body and will reign with Him throughout the ages delivered from the presence of sin. That is glorification. This is why Romans 8, verses 24 to 25, speaks of our being saved in hope. The future aspect of our salvation is that we shall be like Him. Romans 8, verse 24 and 25, read, For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. The gospel anticipates that which is pictured in the book of Revelation, the very real, physical, and eternal kingdom of God. Romans chapter 8 tells us that there is no person, in verses 31 to 34, or circumstance, in verses 35 through 37, that can separate the believer from the love of God in Christ. Who can be against us? Who can bring any charge against us if God justifies us? 
Who is to condemn us if God has taken our condemnation in the person of our wrath-bearing substitute? Who shall separate us from the love of God? No person. What can separate us? Shall the circumstance of tribulation, distress, persecution, nakedness, danger, or sword? No, in all these circumstances we are more than conquerors. Paul teaches that God extracts from defeat values that could never be gained through conquest. G. Campbell Morgan writes, quote, Enduring tribulation we are thereby brought through patience and proving to the hope that is not put to shame. Experiencing anguish, we are having fellowship with the suffering which saves. Bearing persecution, we are demonstrating the meaning of true godliness. Suffering hunger, we are proving that man does not live by bread alone. In nakedness, we reveal the beauty of spiritual adorning. Living amid perils, we are revealing the power of our Lord. Dying by the sword, we are demonstrating the weakness of the sword. This is more than conquering, and it is only possible through Him that loved us. End quote. Now let's go to the Bible's songbook, where we continue to read from Psalm 18, the Psalm of David. We start with verse 37, and we will read through to verse 50. I pursued my enemies and overtook them, and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through, so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Now let's take a few moments to think about what we have just read. Do you experience the Lord teaching you, correcting you, strengthening you, and equipping you? The psalmist says, For you have girded me with strength for battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. Psalm 18, verse 39. David sings of God's faithfulness to deliver him and bring him salvation. How about you? Let's conclude our excursion through the Bible today with a reading from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 19, verses 27 and 28. Cease to hear instruction, my son and you will stray from the words of knowledge. A worthless witness mocks at justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. Condemnation is ready for scoffers, and beating for the backs of fools. 
These proverbs remind us how foolish it is to despise God's wisdom, instruction, discipline, justice, and call for pure and truthful speech. We were made in God's image to tell the truth about Him. When we fail to exhibit the truth about Him, we fail to discharge the responsibility for which we were made. Keep listening to His Word. Come to Christ, the living Word, and let Him restore you to your true function. Let Him change you from glory to glory. Not only will you be a truth-teller, but a truth-exhibitor. To disregard God's original intention for our lives will only lead to condemnation and ruin. Let's give thanks to the Lord. Blessed be your name forever, O Lord. Yours is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. All that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. We praise you for your sovereign wisdom and your rule over all. May your name be revered throughout the whole earth. Thank you for the hope of the gospel, the certain promise of our glorification and our participation in your kingdom reign. We rejoice knowing that nothing can separate us from your love. Continue to strengthen us for the battle. Equip us to fight the good fight of faith as we trust you to give us the victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've taken in a lot today on our tour, and we hope to join with you tomorrow. I always like to remind you that if you do have questions or comments that you'd like to share with us, you can write us at podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like to get a written transcript of our commentary, you can go to our website and subscribe to the daily email at newlife.org. We appreciate your support, and we also appreciate your prayers as we seek to spread the Word of God here in New England and throughout the world. So God bless you and make you fruitful in every good work. Shalom.